can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! Okay, now, we're about to speak. We're about to speak to a man in uh, America who is about to tour Australia for the second time. He's a former mafia boss in America. And um, there's far too much to unpack about him um, in this chat. Um, He's uh, a born-again Christian, which... He might be on a redemption tour here, I don't know, but uh, he is a fascinating person. If you read his bio on Wikipedia, his name is Michael Franzisi. Um, uh, he has had contracts out in his life since he walked away from the organisation. Uh, why he's still walking around? Well, we'll ask him how come he hasn't been eliminated. Um, he's about to embark, as I said, on his second tour to the east coast of Australia. He was out here in 2015 and he's appearing, appearing at the uh, Palais on the 6th of October and in Sydney on the 8th of October at the Enmore Theatre. And if you want a book to hear Michael Franzisi and his stories about the Mafia and um, what goes on, um, you can contact Abstract Touring and they will tell you how you can book some seats. It says uh, he is a former mobster in his bio and a motivational speaker. I'm not sure that you could get two more polarised uh, descriptions of someone, but um, we're going to see if we can contact him now. He uh, knows that I'm going to ring him, uh, hopefully. No, he does know I'm going to... I'm going to I'm going, wouldn't, wouldn't ever surprise someone like Michael Franzisi. So we're about to ring him now and see if we can um, make contact with him. Um, so this is a bit like a seance. So I just press that there. I've got assistance here doing this, mind you. Here we go. Uh, so the phone is... What? The phone is ringing. What does that mean? Unavailable, it says, does it? What does that say? It says unavailable. Uh, Unavailable, right. I'm not not sure what that means. This is going well. This is live. Um, um, Unavailable. He says he's unavailable on the uh, thing we're ringing him on. So what are we doing now? That rang then. That sort of rang then. Why didn't that uh, go on? What happened? Going well. Here we go. Righto. Yep. Hello. I think we're uh, trying to get hold of Michael. We're sorry, but the person you've called is unavailable. Your call is important to us. Please leave your name and number and we will respond as soon as we can. Yeah, no, this is going beautifully, this, and uh, this is uh, the beauty of why we uh, try and organise things to start with. Hello? Hello? Can we hear anyone on the line at all? Okay. Um, We have the number that we're meant to be ringing. Uh, It says we've rung it. We're on, uh, not on mute, we're on, here we go. Is it working? Hello? Hello? Michael? Hello? Hello? Yes. Can you hear us? 
I can hear you, yes. Uh, thank you very much. We uh, took 30 seconds to try and uh, get the call through. This would be our problem from our end. Thank you very much for joining us on uh, You Cannot Be Serious. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you. Now, Michael, I usually do this with my partner, a bloke called Don Scott, but because of the time differences and the fact that we usually do our podcast on Wednesday our time, and I know it's Monday your time, we're doing it on Tuesday our time, so it's just me speaking to you, and I appreciate you coming on the line. Well, that's fine with me, and... uh Again, it's nice to be here. Now, uh, you've been out here before to Australia, and I'm just wondering, it says you're a, (laughs) in your bio, it says you're a mobster and a a former mobster and a motivational speaker. I would think that they're about the most polarised professions you could get. Why are you doing this? Well, once again, you know, I, um, I walked away from that life back in 1995, and being a motivational speaker wasn't something that I envisioned for myself. It just turned out that way when people were contacting me. Uh, initially, it was all the pro sports leagues here that asked me to speak to athletes about the dangers of gambling and the people that they hang out with. So I started with them, and then it just grew into me speaking to young people on college campuses, me going to various churches around the country, speaking in prisons, detention centers, juvenile halls, and it just turned into a a career. So, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, my experiences, I've been able to help people, and and that's what it's all about. Yeah, so you uh, wasn't going to get onto this uh, this early, but uh, you mentioned about uh, the problems of gambling. Uh, It it says here, Michael, and I only go on the information that I I can glean uh, from uh, your bios and everything that's said about you, but were you part of trying to fix baseball games in the 70s and 80s at the New York Yankees. Were you part of that, or, or, or what? what is that about? Well, I, I don't mention a specific team, but, uh, well, yes, uh, I had a number of books. Yeah, the team is mentioned, that's all. It just says in the uh, bio, it says that the New York Yankees had problems gambling, and you, I think it said, uh, were one of... Uh, few people who tried to get them to fix games so that they could repay their debts. Now, tell me, please, if I get any of this wrong, mate, because I'm just uh, as interested as anyone, but I'm not sure if I'm speaking factually or not. Yeah, well, when it comes to the Yankees, it's not factual. What I have said in the past is that players from various teams in both baseball and our football over here and basketball uh, that got into gambling debts uh, there were times when to get out of those debts, they would have to compromise the outcome of the game by shaving points. Baseball, honestly, is probably the most difficult game to, uh, you know, to fix in that regard. So, uh, and I happen to be a, a real Yankee fan, so I, I don't want to say that we did anything with the Yankees. But, you know, that's how it started. Uh, I started that way speaking, and over the past 25 years, I think I've been able to help a lot of players get themselves out of uh, – a jam, and hopefully we've been uh, a benefit to the league. Yeah, so having said that, Michael, um, I'm not saying that you, uh, well, I'm, I'm asking you, is is fixing professional sport in America, was it rife in the 70s and 80s, and is it still going on today, and is it uh, a, real, uh, a real thorn in the side of uh, organised sports still by people like... Not like you, but people in your profession, mobsters and uh, standover people. 
I'm not saying you're either of those, Michael, but I'm just saying uh, people who intimidate uh, sports people. You know, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's not, look, most of these games are on the level. They're legitimate. They're played out the right way. But there is an occasion when an athlete or uh, a referee or someone, you know, personnel involved with the league could get themselves in trouble gambling-wise. And as a result, they'll do something to compromise the outcome of the game, whether it be shaving points or whatever. So does it still happen? Absolutely. It happens today because there's more access to gambling and more athletes get themselves in trouble, mostly on a college level. Not so much on the pros because here in the United States, the pros make enough money uh, you know, to take care of their debts. But college athletics is a different story. And a lot of these young men and women, mostly men, get themselves in trouble and they get involved with the wrong people. And as a result, uh, you know, becomes messy with the sport. And yeah, games, some games are compromised and, and uh, points are shaved and it does affect the outcome. So, so you say get in, uh, get in concert with the wrong people. The wrong people, of course, are the mob and um, the, the, the mafia and the people, the professionals in this, not just the fly-by-nights, but the people, and they organise and control everything, I presume, in drugs and prostitution and particularly gambling. Well, gambling for sure. Um, during my era in that life, we weren't allowed to be involved with drugs. It was, uh, was off-limits for us, and if we got involved with drugs, we got killed. So that was during the 70s and 80s and, uh, you know, into the early 90s. I'm not sure how it is today. And that goes for, you know, mafia in America. Obviously, in Italy, they were, you know, major drug dealers. Um, Other parts of the world, quite possibly. But in America, we weren't allowed to deal with drugs. As far as prostitution, you know, it wasn't much of that going around during my time. It's become more prevalent now here in the States because of lax laws. But during my time, it wasn't as prevalent. There were some bars, you know, where prostitution was being handled. But I honestly say it wasn't a major industry. Gambling was, without a doubt. So so if it wasn't drugs and it wasn't prostitution, the big, uh, the big ticket item in your era was um, extortion and tax evasion and things like that, was it, Michael? Yeah, we also had a lot of union uh, control back then, so labor racketeering was big. Uh, We did infiltrate legitimate business. I mean, I was involved in the gasoline business. We defrauded our government out of uh, tax on on millions and hundreds of millions of gallons of gasoline. It was a very, very lucrative enterprise. So whatever way we could infiltrate a legitimate business, uh, obviously we tried to and we did. And again... Because of the unions, we had tremendous control of a lot of businesses in this country. Now, Michael, I, I know you are a born-again man, and um, you thank, I think, your wife for uh, showing you the other side of what life could be about. But are you, do you feel, are you proud of what, are you, when you say you defrauded the government out of millions of dollars worth of tax by tax evasion, how do you look back on your life and uh, um, and resolve it with um, um, with uh, a pretty ordinary, dudding the country that you live in, really, I suppose? Is that well, fair me, or not? Well, let me put it this way. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And look, um, 
there's no question. I mean, I, I was involved in criminal activity with, when I was on the street. I did defraud the government out of tax on every gallon of gasoline. And, you know, honestly, during my time, we drove prices down at the pump. So although I was defrauding the government out of tax, we were giving some backs to the taxpayer at the gasoline pump because our gas was cheaper than anybody else's. But aside from that, you know, I'm going to be very honest with you. I, uh, I would not commit a, cr- a crime today. I have gone straight. I, I love my wife and my children too much to do anything to put myself in jeopardy of going back to jail. I am a Christian. I am a person of faith. But, you know, look, I, I don't have a moral issue, honestly, with defrauding our government out of tax because our, our government here has been so irresponsible with tax money. Uh, so irresponsible lately the way they're running this country. I think I can do better with the money than they can, but I won't do it. I want to be clear. I will not do it. I won't steal uh, ever again. That's 25 years in my past. And uh, I went to jail for that. I mean, I did eight years in prison. I had a $15 million restitution. I had uh, forfeiture of a lot of my property. So I paid the price for what I did. Uh, and I would not engage in it again. So yeah, now I, un- you know, I, un- I understand all that, but of course we all disagree with how the government spends our money. But if everyone uh, decides that uh, they're going to try and defraud the government, uh, it, we just end up in living in a community of anarchy. Uh, so, uh, and I understand. I understand exactly where you're coming from. I'm inter- interested to know. I don't know how accurate the Godfather the film was, but. I noticed that the main thing they didn't indulge in in the Godfather movie was drugs. They went into everything else. Is uh, is drugs uh, too hot to handle? There's too many cartels willing to just uh, ignore every uh, moral thing in the world and just take people out as, at the drop of a hat. Well, listen, drugs is a very dirty business. And, you know, if we were anything in our time, we were protectives of our communities and our neighborhoods. We didn't want to see drugs involved uh, with the people that we cared about in our own neighborhoods, our own communities. And that's number one. Number two, uh, you know, politically, drugs is, uh, is a very dangerous thing to get involved in. People can excuse a little gambling business. They can excuse certain things, but not drugs. Drugs is a terrible business to be involved in. And we stayed out of it because we didn't want the heat from the law enforcement, number one. And we didn't want it to infiltrate our own neighborhood. So we stayed out of it as a result of that. Now, were some guys doing it? Yes. But on the side, maybe sneaking. We were not the major drug dealers. And I think that's the point that I'd like to get across. Because it was something that we looked down upon at the time. Are a fair percentage of the authority and the uh, the law about the law the law people uh, are a fair percentage of them, uh, as it turns out, probably just as corrupt as um, uh, the people trying to break the law. Uh, are they, is, is that is that why there's such a uh, that's why there's such a uh, worry about uh, people? Uh, there's a fair degree of corruption in the law with people trying to stop you breaking it, isn't there? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think we're seeing that now. I don't know if you're following what's going on in the United My States. My word, I do, Michael. I uh, I follow that closer, that reckon, than anyone in your your country. Well, I can tell you this. You know, look, I spent over 20 years on the street. I grew up in that life. My father was a prominent member of the life. And I can honestly tell you, in my entire lifetime, I've never seen the level of corruption 
that exists in our government today. And it's very disturbing to me because I have seven children. I have seven grandchildren. And this country is, is really in a very bad way. And I'm hoping it writes itself because uh, another few years of this and, and uh, we're going to end up being a banana republic here. And uh, it's really going to that degree. Would it be fair to say, Michael, that uh, probably the man that you think might uh, rescue the country, he had one go at it for four years and is having another go at it uh, in next November, would be um, Mr Trump? Or don't well, you want to politically <laughs> get involved with that? No, no, I, I have no problem. Listen, you know, for those of us that have a platform and a voice, and I do have one, we should speak up, especially when we see things that are, that are happening that are so detrimental to our nation. Donald Trump for four years was a very good president. His policies were good. America was thriving during his four years. And I believe the man really cared about this country. You know, people call him a narcissist and he was egotistical. Well, so what? I don't care about that. I care about how he manages this country. And he did an excellent job during his time as president under some very difficult conditions because the guy didn't have a day's rest when they weren't trying to get him. Uh, he, so yeah, do, I, do I think... Yeah, broke it a few... You know, do uh, I think he'd be... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Brokered a few peace deals with um, Israel and North Korea, and uh, didn't engage in any uh, wars with countries that might end up in a nuclear disaster like what's going on at the minute. I, 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 I I'm just saying this, Michael. I reckon uh, Donald Trump won't. I reckon someone will end up assassinating him. Well, you know what? What else can they try to do to him? They've done everything in the world to try to stop this man, and they haven't been able to. And I, I'm concerned for him, too. I'd be very honest with you, because that's all that's left. I mean, he's become more popular because a good percentage of people in his country can see what they're doing to him. Whenever the, justice, whenever the, the people in power start to weaponize the Department of Justice and law enforcement to go after their political enemies, we're in a lot of trouble. And that's exactly what's happening here. It's as obvious as the nose on anyone's face. People are seeing it. They don't like it. Uh, the polls are showing that. Um, and uh, I, I think, you know, that the, the Democratic Party is going to pay a price uh, come uh, the election. I hope so. But I we, hope so. yes, but we, uh, we stray uh, off uh, what we were talking about, Michael. Um, it says, it says uh, in a poll that you were voted <laughs> the most, you were number 18, the 18th most powerful and wealthy mafia boss uh, back in the day. You must have been a bit ticked off you went in the top three. <laughs> no, I was a big ticked off. I was on the list at all because things like that don't help you. Trust me, I was in jail when that list came out. And as a result of that and the publicity I've got, they put me in lockdown. I was actually in solitary confinement for several months because of the article. So those things don't do you any good when you're in prison or when you're a, a high-profile person like I was. But you know, we got through it. Uh, we got past it. Um, and, you know, what does it mean right now? Really not that much. No. The, I'll tell you what's significant about that list, though. Out of the list of 50, 48 of those men are dead. And number 49 is still in prison. And I'm the only one that's alive and free. Well, That's what's significant about the list. I am very glad you mentioned that because that was the very next thing I was going to say. How do you walk away from this industry or business or whatever, profession or vocation or whatever you like to call it? 
And how do you walk away from it? I know you've had attempts on your life. If someone really wanted to end your life, they could, surely, or have you taken absolute protection in ways we don't understand? Well, you know, the bottom line on this is that I never put anybody in prison. I didn't cooperate with the government against my former associates. That's not what I uh, intended to do. I just wanted out of the life because I knew the life was in serious trouble. And I married a young girl who's now my wife of 38 years, and I didn't want to put her through all the pain that my family went through, my mother, brothers and sisters, and my father. So that's why I made that decision. And I think when people started to realize that I wasn't hurting anybody, uh, most of the guys that I was involved with are dead or in prison for the rest of their life. I moved across the country to stay out of everybody's uh, you know, face so that uh, you know they can get on with their lives. And look, I believe God had a different plan and a purpose for me. It's been quite obvious over the last 25 years. So um, you know, through many, many challenges and struggles, we don't we don't have time to go into it now. But I will when I speak about yeah. this in Melbourne in in October. Um, you know, I've been very, very fortunate. Let's let's say that. Well, before you before we rang rang you, we did mention your tour dates here and where you're appearing. So we've uh, we, we've mentioned that you said. Uh, that you never tipped anyone in, for want of a better word. Uh, a bit unlike your brother, I think, who lagged your father, didn't he? Uh, that's how is that accurate, or and how did you handle that? Well, my brother had a very serious drug problem for most of his life, and he was, uh, you know, a tortured soul. He got himself in some trouble, and yes, unfortunately, he did cooperate and uh, and did testify against my father. Uh, something that he he deeply regrets. Um, but he's had a tough life, you know, and it's, it's just a product of this life. Look, I, I can tell you this. I don't know any family of any member of that life that hasn't been totally devastated, including my own. You know, my brother was 25 years a drug addict. My mother, 33 years without a husband. Um, you know, when she passed away, her relationship with my dad was ugly because she blamed him for everything that went wrong. I had a sister, 27 years old, died of an overdose of drugs. My other sister, 41 years old, who was never mentally stable, she passed away at the age of 41. So the family was was a wreck, and my brother was a product of that uh, because we went through such turbulence as children. You, you had to, you know, you had to be blessed and fortunate to survive, and I'm basically the only one that did. Uh, you um, never took drugs. No, I, I hate anything to do with drugs. Never, never even smoked uh, marijuana in my life. Uh, I mean, I'll take an aspirin, but I don't take yeah. drugs. I take an antibiotic if I'm sick. That's about it. Now, Michael, have you ever killed anyone or anything? Well, let me let me put it this way. I always get asked that question. Uh, well, and, I'm asking uh, it I, now. <laughs> well, yeah, let me tell you this. You know, unfortunately, there's the, you know, violence is a part of that life. If you're part of the life, you're part of the violence, and I'll leave it at that. How many people have you killed, Michael? Oh, uh, you know I'm not going there, right? No, you my don't friend? get it. No, I'm. I'm. Please, I'm. I'm only. We appreciate you speaking to us. Have you ever asked? Have you ever asked someone? Have you ever put a hit on someone, and not done it? Well, yourself? again, you know, you know, I'm not going to go there. I All mean, right. I could say no. I could. Yeah. Yes. No, I appreciate so, that, Michael. No, no, that's fantastic. It. Now, were you? Was there a um, Victor? Quintana, was that your alias when you were, were you asked to um, try and capture uh, Don King? Have I got that right or have I completely misread that? 
Yeah, no, you, you misread that. Victor Quintana was an undercover FBI agent oh, that was part sorry. of a sting operation. Yep. And Don King and myself were the targets of that sting oh, I operation. I see. I'm sorry. You were the targets. You weren't trying to get Don King. No, no, no. They were trying to get both me and Don King. And fortunately, the, uh, the operation failed. Why, why were they trying to get you? I could, I'm, not, I, I, so I'm not sure why that I could understand why they might want to get Don King. What did you have to do with uh, Don King? Well, they were trying to prove that organized crime was involved in professional boxing and that Don King was, um, you know, controlled by the mob. And I had a relationship with Don, so they targeted both me and him. That, that would be a given, wouldn't it, that uh, professional boxing is rigged, surely? No, it's not rigged. I it's mean, not. there were times when, you know, no. There were times when fighters, you know, took a dive. I mean, I won't deny that. But it's not all of professional boxing. You know, I, I don't ever like to put a blanket over an entire sport and say that the whole sport is corrupt. It's not true. But back in the day, there were certain fighters that, you know, were paid to take a dive. It happened. I'm not going to say it hadn't, didn't happen. Uh, but most of the time, you know, fights are on the level. Uh, but yes, there, there were times, you know, organized crime, my former associates, even myself, I had an interest in a fighter way back when. And uh, we loved the game and, uh, you know, we loved to bet and make money. So sometimes things were fixed. But, but uh, you take Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was the champ, legit. Nobody was going to fix a fight with Mike. Uh, and nobody had to because he was a, a ferocious fighter. But there were times when things like that were done. But that was mostly back in the 40s and 50s, yeah, Sunday, early Liston. 60s. Well, Liston, you know, was a problem guy. Yeah, and I think we know the story with yep. him. Uh, yeah, he, he was controlled to a degree, yes. Uh, so uh, what, uh, what, what, what do you most regret? Uh, so, so you were a you, – you partnered, you partnered, did you not, a man called um, – uh, where you uh, managed various uh, identities and stars and entertainers. One of them was Michael Jackson, I think, and the other was um, – you, you partnered a man called Norley Waters? Walters? Norby Walters, yeah. Nor yes, and uh, he – Looked like he was going to lose the uh, contracts of Michael Jackson and Dionne Warwick, and because you were his partner, you managed to get them to stay with him. Is that is that what your main business was? Uh, intimidation or extortion, or is, is is that what you are noted for, Michael? I know these are questions no. that you. I'm sure you don't mind me asking these questions because it's never the questions you're asked; it's the answers you give that's important. No, no, no. I, I don't mind you asking the question. No, I wasn't known for extortion. I was known for being a top earner for that life. You know, they yeah. called me the uppy don. They called me the billion dollar boss because I, uh, you know, I was successful in bringing money into the family. But, you know, there were times uh, when Norby Walters and I were partners and he had certain acts that he represented. And if the acts wanted to leave him, uh, I would go and talk to them and, you know, First, yeah. nicely, try to convince them to stay. <laughs> yeah. They knew who I was. Yeah, they knew who I was. So, you know, I was very effective in getting them to 
uh, stay with Norby. So, yeah, so, but again, that's that's part of what we do. So, Michael, how would a conversation like that go? So you'd say, uh, now look, I think you should stay with uh, Mr Norby or Mr Walters or whatever his name is, and they'd say, no, we're thinking of moving, and you would say something like, now look, I'm going to give you another chance. I don't think this is a good idea. Let me just suggest something to you. Is that how vaguely it goes, Michael, or is that uh, all just about the films? <laughs> no, no, I, 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 uh, you've got it right. I would say, look, I think it would be to your advantage to stay with Norby. Uh, you're going to make a friend here, and uh, you know it could be handy for you in the future. And, and uh, I want you to think about it. And most of the time, that's enough. Because you don't have to say too much when they know who you are and what you have mm. behind you. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so you. It says here, Michael, that you were earning a million dollars a week with your uh, uh, tax evasion in your gas stations. You had a whole, a whole raft of gas stations across the states, I think, and um, uh, a million bucks a week, mate. Back in that's uh, extraordinary money. Do you have any of it left? Well, no, I don't. Um, you know, the government took their uh, pound of flesh out of me. So, like I said, I had a big restitution. Uh, I had a forfeiture of a lot of my assets. I ended up doing eight years in prison. Uh, so, no, there's no money left. But uh, I'm not complaining about my life uh, today. I've been very fortunate to... Uh, you know, to move forward, move ahead, and, and I'm doing okay. So it says your dear old dad, who died at 103, is, is that correct? Yes, it is. And is that that's your biological father? That's John Franzese? I know, uh, I know there was some, you thought that your real father was Mr Grillo, I think, at some stage, didn't you? And then, is that your real father, uh, your biological father, John Franzese? Yes, it is. A- and... And it's said here, Michael, which I can't believe, that he got sentenced to 50 years in 1967. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And, and he, he did 40 years on the 50. Holy mackerel. Did he? And he came out? Yes, and, he, and he And he and did he go back in again? Did he die in prison or did he was he released? At no, he died free. Yeah, he, he was released at the age of 100, and he died at the age of 103. That but he is, was free. That is extraordinary. That That is absolutely extraordinary. So your genes, you've got good genes, Michael. You could be around for a while. Well, I hope so. So far, so good. <laughs> and that, so um, one of the things that uh, people are interested in when you earn all this money, how do you uh, how do you actually launder it, or how do you make it legitimate? And I think you uh, opened a film company called Miami Gold, and you um, uh, and you made a made a film uh, out of uh, Miami Gold. Is that correct? That's correct. And I had, uh, you know, I had legitimate businesses. I had two automobile agencies, both a Mazda and a Chevrolet agency. I had a leasing company. I had a number of restaurants that I owned. And yes, I did have a film and distribution company. And uh, these were all legitimate. Uh, With the film, I did use some, you know, tax money that I had taken from the government to make a few movies. Uh, But other than that, uh, they ran pretty legitimately. All my other companies and um did if we wanted to uh, a bit like uh, a bit like the godfather michael if we wanted to get a certain actor or actress uh, into your films did you um, send your accountant down not to put the horse's head in the, uh, the in the bed but just to suggest that it'd be a good idea if you uh, joined one of our films 
<laughs> no, no, no. This nothing, industry, you know, you don't. Nothing yeah, you as don't romantic that. as that. All, all you need to do is pay them, and they uh, and they want to perform. That's it. <laughs> uh, I, I I had it written down. What was the, I think? What was the film I had heard? Actually, heard of it. What was the film that you made uh, in Miami Gold? One of the films. It's called Knights of the City. It is it's absolutely Knights of the City. K N I G H T S. Knights of the City. That was about the people who run the city. Is it? Uh, well, More it's actually a gang type. It was a gang type of movie uh, back then. It was. Uh, you know that was the era. So it was yeah. uh, it was a gang movie. Sammy Davis Jr. was in it. Smokey Robinson was in it. Uh, it was a good film. It was the film on which I met my wife. So it was a great film for well, me. Well, it's a great film. I'd, I'd actually heard uh, Knights of the City. I don't know why I'd actually heard of that film before I read it in your uh, in your in your bio. Now, what's the what's the greatest thing michael that you regret about well so you were going to be a student and then you you deferred your studies i think because your dad got put in prison and you thought you had to uh, sustain the family financially is that how you you weren't a career criminal if you like but you got into it by uh, just the circumstance of your father going to prison is that correct that's correct when my dad went away i was a pre-med student uh at a university and um you know, I had to help my family. We, we had to earn money and I had to help my dad, you know, with his case to try to get the conviction over, <clears throat> excuse me, overturned. So, you know, I was the oldest and I, I had that responsibility. So I left school and, you know, went out and tried to do the best I can in that regard. And what about the people in your line of business, Michael, uh, that uh, in politics is that there are a lot of uh, a lot of behind the scenes uh, pushing and manoeuvring and intimidation and threatening about politics. I, I, I noticed that they're still talking about how JFK got murdered and uh, uh, they're still uh, not releasing the documents, which might show that it might have been a little more than what everyone thought. Well, listen, you know, I think anybody knows that politics is a very dirty business. Uh, you know, there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of behind the scenes and backdoor deals that are made. And, um, you know, look, you know, absolute power um, corrupts absolutely. Yeah. That was There's no truest statement that was ever made. And that happens in politics because people don't ever want to give up their position. They don't want to give up their power. And unfortunately, they use their power to enrich themselves. And we're seeing that happen to a great degree. Every uh, congressman, you know, so many congressmen that come into office here, uh, they make uh, 200000 a year and they go out multimillionaires. Yeah, and nobody, uh, you know, how do you explain that? Uh, you know, well, I know I how they do I, it. I think they're asking Mr. Biden to explain that as we speak. Well, they haven't asked him yet because <laughs> and he hasn't offered that explanation yet because he can't. You know, so, um, but hopefully that, look, if we have a person in office that has committed treason, I just hope that the the people of this country, uh, regardless of their political persuasion, will turn around and say uh, enough is enough and get this man out of office. Because in my view, um, you know, that office of the vice presidency was sold. It was peddled. Uh, I think the evidence shows that. And we can't have anybody in office that would stoop to such a disagree, uh, to such a degree, rather, uh, to sell out his own country for money. Now, Michael, just before we finish, 
is the one thing besides being in the uh, being in the uh, uh, mob and mafia business is the one thing that you regret that you of doing while you were in that uh, fraternity, like uh, you shouldn't have done this to someone or something, is the one thing that stands out and say, no, I know I've done some pretty bad things, but that's one thing I uh, wish I hadn't done. Well, I, I can say this, and I'll be perfectly honest, you know, that it's, it's kind of something, it's more of omission than commission, and that a very dear friend of mine, very close friend of mine, had violated the rules of that life, and um, he paid for it with his life because we understand that. And I tried my best to save him, and I couldn't. And that's one of the deepest regrets that I have uh, because I was godfather to his children, and um, it, it really hurt. Again, and I, I wish I was able to uh, save him, but I wasn't able to, and that was something that you know weighed heavily on my mind until today. Um, but that's the life. Yep. That's the life. You, you violate the rules sometimes, and unfortunately, the consequences are severe. Um, very unfortunate. Uh, so now, just finally, Michael, um, the traditional mafia people are f Italians from uh, the, the Italian mafia. Are they still in charge of whatever's going on in the States or have been eased out or pushed out entirely by the Russians and the Serbs and the Macedonians and the Yugoslavs uh, or, uh, or, uh, or, or the American mafia, as we know, it's still in control? Yeah, well, well listen, these are separate groups. They don't war with each other. They don't infringe upon one another. We got along with, uh, you know, I had Russian partners in the gas business. We got along with them. And listen, the, uh, you know, the, the life in this country still exists. It's not what it was before, that's for sure. Uh, but it's not going to go away in my lifetime. I mean, they're still functioning. And, um, you know, I think they've gotten smart in that they've gone undercover quite a bit. You don't hear about it as much as you did during my time when it was news just about every day of the week. So that's a good thing for them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are other groups operating, but... Um, you know, everyone is independent, so they do their own thing. Do you think God has forgiven you for your former life? I know God has forgiven me because that's the basis of our Christian faith. You know, I, I say this all the time. Um, you can't pull a, a scam or a fraud on God. He knows our hearts. He knows if we're sincere or not. And if we're playing a game, we're only kidding ourselves because we'll have to answer to it one day. But if we are sincerely, sincerely sorry for our sins and we've tried to turn our lives around and do better, then the basis, the entire basis of our faith is Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of all sins. And uh, we have to believe that because if we don't, we're rejecting uh, everything that he did for us. We're rejecting the crucifixion. We're saying it's meaningless and we can't do that. You know, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by rejecting what Jesus did for us. So yes, I know I'm sincerely sorry for what I did. I've done, uh, you know, my best uh, for the last 25 years to, to make a complete turnaround. I speak in churches. I give my testimony quite often. I'll be doing that on the 15th yeah. in uh, Sydney. Uh, um, yeah, or Sydney you, or Melbourne? No, in Melbourne, I'm no, sorry. You'll, you'll be doing that on the, uh, I think, it, aren't you doing it on the 6th of October in Melbourne? Well, yeah, I'm doing it on the 6th of October in Melbourne and, and on the, the 8th, 8th in Sydney. That's correct. We read that out before. What, what's happening on the 15th? 
uh, the 15th, I'm going to be at a church. Oh, um, I see. Giving I my testimony. Pardon. Yep, I'll get you. Yeah. Okay. And I want people to understand, you know, I know there are tickets available for both events. And look, there are a lot of myths about the mafia, about my former life. We're going to be able to have a good discussion about that. People are always interested, just like you asked today, Michael, how are you able to transform your life under some very difficult conditions? And people are very interested in that. They want to know how my family was able to survive for my eight years in prison and through contracts on my life. How did my kids respond to that? You know, a lot of people have interest in that. They want to know if the mafia was really vital in influencing government decisions here in America and also in Italy. We're going to talk about that. There is a presence uh, in Australia that I'm aware of. We'll touch upon that. We're going to have a VIP time when people will be able to uh, uh, speak to me. We're going to have a Q&A right on, off the stage, Q&A, ask any questions that they want. We'll have photo sessions. We'll be doing book signings. Uh, it's going to be a great night. The last time we were there, we had a great time. I love the people of Australia. Uh, they were very warm, very friendly to me. Uh, my family loved being there. Uh, and we're going to enjoy it again. So we're looking very forward to it. So there are some tickets available. Yep. I hope people will uh, will join us that evening, both evenings. Michael Franzisi, thank you so much uh, for joining us on You Cannot Be Serious. Um, I hope you don't – well, you wouldn't have minded any of the questions we asked because you have battered them back with consummate ease. Uh, fascinating, a fascinating life of uh, – Sounds like you're on a redemption tour, Michael, just out here cleansing your soul and uh, all power to you. Thank you very much for coming on our show and the best to you and your wife. Well, I appreciate that. No, you didn't offend me. I understand that I, I get asked these questions. And look, you know, when you put yourself out there, you, uh, you know, you want to be as responsive as you possibly can. And thank you for having me on. And maybe we'll get to meet when I get into town. Many thanks, Michael. All the best. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Open around, streets late at night. 